That's all the mainstream media wants to talk about is Russia, Russia, Russia. But what about the president's accomplishments? Yeah, what about him? Does he have any? Just ask him. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, 92.9 FM WLRI in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe. On the internets, every day on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today for another thrilling action-packed adventure. You know, I, I would love to talk about Donald Trump's accomplishments, as you heard Fox News lady uh, uh, talking. Do we even know her name there, Desi Doyen? That top, uh, that open quote at the top I of the. I believe that person was Ainsley Earhart. A- Ainsley Earhart, yeah. Uh, I, I'm I'm uh, tempted to use a different uh, word for her last name there, Air, but let's call her Earhart. Um, <laughs> The uh, yes, you know, yes. All the media wants to talk about is Russia, 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 and I appreciate that. I understand that, and I think they are way over covering uh, what they know and what they don't. To be frank, but that said, it's the Trump administration doing it. It's the Trump administration their failure to tell the truth in the first time to- in the first place. Raising the question that we will examine today: Are they? Liars or are they just incompetent or both? Uh, there, there has been so much to do over the, the past week about the and by the way, I'm not just talking about uh, Team Trump here. I'm also talking about the Republicans. They are wildly incompetent as well, it seems. Uh, anyway, there's been all of this to do over the past week about the previously undisclosed meeting at Trump Tower in June of last year. During the campaign with Donald Trump Jr., uh, Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who's now a top White House advisor, and his then chief uh, campaign chief, Paul Manafort, with some Russian attorney who was supposedly supposed to be giving them dirt on Hillary Clinton. Now, we're now about something like day seven of new versions of the story being told by Team Trump about what actually happened. And uh, this was, uh, you know, the White House approved the original statement put out on all of this a week ago. 
when they said that it was nothing more than a meeting about adoption of Russian children that neither uh, Trump Jr. nor Kushner nor Manafort had any interest in because it wasn't a campaign issue. Okay, Um, that was the original story. And by the way, ultimately, I suppose that could be the true story. We don't know because they keep changing it. They keep changing the story. Donald Trump now, uh, on Wednesday, but we only learned this on Thursday, says that he may have previously heard about his son and uh, the top campaign staff meeting with a Russian lawyer in June of 2016, after all, which would be a which is a fairly huge contradiction of his earlier statements on the matter when he said, oh, I just heard about it two or three days ago. Emails released on Tuesday by Donald Trump Jr., of course, show the president's son responding enthusiastically to the promise of dirt on uh, Hillary Clinton provided as part of what was described to him in the email as a Russian government effort to aid his father's campaign. Well, that story changed from last weekend through Monday through Tuesday until uh, Wednesday afternoon when Trump told Reuters, just as I think we were going off the air on uh, Wednesday when this uh, word of this interview came in with Reuters, that uh, Trump said, no, uh, I didn't know about that until a couple of days ago when I heard about this. No, I didn't know about that, he said, referring to that meeting uh, with the Russian lawyer Natalia Veselnitskaya. Um, and uh, Trump Jr. and uh, Kushner and Manafort. Trump changed his tune, however, later in the day. And we only found out about that the following day, the day after. Later in the day on Wednesday, he told reporters on Air Force One during his trip to France in what was supposed to be an off-record interview with reporters, he said, quote, in fact, maybe it was mentioned at some point, that (laughs) meaning, uh, maybe somebody brought maybe, it up. Maybe, you know. I you know, it might have yeah, come up earlier. I can't be expected to remember things. Uh, reporters on the plane had initially thought the conversation was off record, but on Thursday the president said, no, no, it's, it's fine, go ahead, that was on record. So then they reported it on Thursday. Asked whether he had been told the meeting was about Hillary Clinton and dirt against her, Trump said no. According to a White House pool report, on Thursday Trump called the meeting very standard. Very standard happens all the time. Foreign agents always come to us with uh, dirt on uh, campaign people we're running against in campaigns. Multiple complaints have now accused the campaign of illegally accepting a contribution in the form of the promised damaging information on Clinton from a foreign official, which would be in violation of the law. Trump also mentioned seeing, uh, according to the White House pool, something about her being in Congress recently to to talking to members. He's talking about the uh, Russian attorney here, possibly uh, referring to the report in The Hill that Vesel Nitskaya attended a House Foreign Affairs Committee meeting uh, and a dinner at which Republican Congressman Dana Rohrabacher was also in attendance all of that just days before the meeting with the uh, with the campaign at Trump Tower. She's had uh, meetings with various people, Trump said, so it's the same thing. No different. Okay. So if it's very standard, if it's the same thing, why did he lie about it? Why did the White House lie about it? They approved that uh, initial statement that was put out, uh, given to the New York Times, from uh, supposedly from Donald Trump Jr. And why didn't Jared Kushner top White House advisor originally reported as required on his security clearance form. 
I agree, frankly, that meeting with a Russian in and of itself is not a terrible thing. Even though in this case, it was uh, with that purported offer for dirt from a foreign government during a presidential campaign. But if there's nothing to be ashamed of here, as uh, Trump and friends seem to say, why did they hide it? Why did also now Attorney General Jeff Sessions, the nation's top law enforcement officer, say on his security clearance form, as we learned this week, that he had uh, met with no foreign agents from any country over the past seven years? When he's now admitted that he met with uh, the Russian ambassador at least twice last year, one time privately in his office, why are they lying about this? There may be nothing wrong with that, but they keep lying about it. You know, Republicans have deported people for accidentally checking yes instead of no on a voter registration form that was accidentally handed to them at a, at a DMV, even without, without them ever having voted. They've deported people for that, for getting that wrong, that checkbox wrong. And here's the nation's top law enforcement officer blatantly lying on a very simple security form as we've now finally seen um, after uh, on Thursday, this uh, day late release by the Department of Justice of that document in response to a Freedom of Information Act request and a court order to release that form publicly. But they, he, Jeff Sessions lied on that form. Why? The president of the United States says he knew nothing about uh, a meeting with a foreign agent promising dirt on his campaign opponent. But just an hour or two later, he remembers, oh, yeah, maybe I maybe I heard something about that. Maybe it was mentioned. His son-in-law, a top White House advisor, had to change his security clearance form three different times because apparently he forgot some 100 different meetings with different foreign nationals. I mean, if it was any other administration, I'd say that they were definitely hiding something. But frankly, uh, the only thing that gives me pause about that is that these jackasses are so indescribably incompetent at what they do. Perhaps they really just had no idea what they were doing. But that seems less and less plausible the more uh, we learn and the deeper they seem to keep digging at this point. Now it's being reported today that there was another Russian nationalist also in the same meeting with Trump, uh, Trump Jr., I should say, and Kushner and Manafort. That guy is now apparently a U.S. citizen. He denies anything improper in what he describes as a short meeting, but he also apparently served time in a Soviet-era Soviet military intelligence unit. He says he never worked as a spy and would have had to disclose that before being granted citizenship in the U.S., but that's kind of besides the point. Why are we only learning about this now, whether it was nefarious or not? Why are we only learning these details now? So now we learn there was another guy. But wait, it gets still worse. Just before air today, CNN is now reporting that the Trump Tower Russia meeting, at least eight people in the room. <laughs> eight people now. Wait, the there were there were not there were first it didn't happen, it then the it four, happened, then it right. was the four, then it was the five, then it was the six, and now it's eight. Now it's eight. This June twenty sixth meeting, according to CNN, at the Trump Tower with uh, uh, Trump Jr., Kushner, Manafort, included at least eight people, says CNN. The revelation of additional uh, participants comes as the AP first reported on Friday that a Russian American lobbyist named Renat 
Akmetchin said he also attended the uh, uh, June 2016 meeting. Okay, so, so far acknowledged in attendance is Trump Jr., Kushner, Manafort, the Russian lawyer Veselnitskaya, Akmetchin, uh, and uh, publicist Rob Goldstone, who helped set up the meeting. A source familiar with the circumstances told CNN there were at least two other people in the room as well. A translator and a representative of the Russian family who had asked Goldstone, the publicist, to set up the meeting with the uh, Trump team in the first place. The source did not provide the names of those two additional people. So now we're up to eight. Greg Sargent uh, of Washington Post's Plumline blog notes that uh, CNN now counts eight people in the meeting. Remember, Trump signed off on an initial statement lying about it, lying about all of this. On Friday, Akmetchen denied to the Washington Post that he was ever an intelligence agent, but he said he did serve two years in a Soviet military unit that handled counterintelligence. He said, at no time have I ever worked for the Russian government or any of its agencies. I was not an intelligence officer. Never, he told the Post. Akmetchen also told the AP the meeting was not substantive, and he actually expected more serious conversation. I never thought this would be such a big deal, to be honest, the AP quotes Akmetchen as saying. The, uh, the lawyer, however, for Donald Trump Jr. did not respond to a uh, request for comment from CNN about these new additional people. The White House has not yet commented, uh, at least as we go to air. NBC was the first to report that extra person at the meeting, and then CNN came in with the other two. Which all of all, all of this continues to buttress the point that I was uh, making on yesterday's show. What, if anything, is the Trump administration hiding by their abject and repeated failure to make simple, transparent disclosures of this stuff? As required by several different well-established legal processes and, and federal requirements. If there's nothing to hide, okay, I believe you. Sort of. Just tell the truth. I say sort of. I don't know if I believe them or not. <laughs> I, You know, I prefer to have evidence of stuff before I actually uh, uh, report on it. But, um, you know, they say there's nothing to hide here. So fine. Just tell the truth. Why do they keep hiding all of these uh, all of these things? So, you know, all of these people uh, in these meetings, rather than, you know, allowing this drip, drip, drip to continue, which sure begins to look a hell of a lot like you're trying to hide something, whether you are or not. Just, you know, disclose all of the people, disclose everyone you ever met. As Trey Gowdy, the Republican who headed up the Benghazi witch hunt for so long, uh, as he said earlier this week after the news came out, this drip, 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 just expose everything, disclose everything. So either they're trying to hide something or, or they are wildly and grossly incompetent. And with this crew, that's a very real and damn near as plausible explanation, I think, for all of this. I, you know, they really are wildly incompetent. And on that front today, we have uh, still more evidence to suggest, frankly, that this administration has no idea what the hell they're doing, how government actually works or how to run one. And that evidence doesn't come. Don't take my word for it. 
Uh, look at what Secretary of State, Trump's own Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, is quoted as having said today. This uh, originally reported by uh, L.A. Times here. When you have been chief executive of one of the largest companies on the planet and suddenly you find yourself taking orders from an unpredictable politician with no government experience, it can be, well, complicated, says the Times. Quoting uh, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson on uh, Thursday in unusually candid comments to reporters, Tillerson said, well, it's a lot different than being CEO of Exxon because I was the ultimate decision maker. Tillerson was speaking to uh, to pool reporters, two pool reporters on a flight returning to the U.S. after his uh, trip of uh, shuttle diplomacy in the Middle East. Tillerson acknowledged being exhausted Thursday but allowed a rare glimpse into his thinking. He expressed frustration at the, quote, fragmented decision-making process in the Trump administration. There's a decision-making process? <laughs> Good point. Uh, he notes the government was, quote, not a highly disciplined organization. <laughs> this is Trump. This is Tex Rex Tillerson, Trump's own secretary of state, talking about Trump's administration. He says, it's a lot different than being CEO of Exxon because I was the ultimate decision maker, adding we had very long-standing disciplined processes and decision making, I mean highly structured, that allows you to accomplish a lot in a very efficient way, he said. The Times notes that Tillerson said he didn't mean to criticize the government, but that, quote, it's largely not a highly disciplined organization. Well, yes, definitely. I think, but that's I think kind it, of amazing, isn't it? Coming yeah. from the Secretary of State here. I think maybe it used to be until they fired everybody over at the State Department. Oh, well, right there you go. But he seems, yeah, it's unclear whether he's specifically talking about the the uh, Trump administration, the State Department, uh, or just government in in particular. But he seems to be focusing on the Trump administration in these comments. So maybe he was exhausted and, uh, you know, loose lips and all of that. Uh, he says uh, engagement with the rest of the world is actually very easy for me. None of it's new to me. It is more difficult because of, well, just the elements we talked about. <laughs> He does have to do a lot of mop-up, I imagine. Uh, you think? Uh, so they don't know what the hell they're doing. And even the Secretary of State, Trump's own Secretary of State, says as much. And it's, as I noted, it is not just the Trump administration at this point. Frankly, it is Republicans in general. Uh, that's just one of the reasons they can't seem to pass health care reform after years of decrying Obamacare as being an absolute disaster, after passing bill after bill after bill uh, that was, you know, rejected by Obama, but bill after bill to overturn it, to repeal it and to replace it. Now that they actually can repeal it and replace it, they can't seem to get this right. Even though they now enjoy absolute majorities in both the House and the Senate and they control the White House, uh, I'm reminded of this comment from, uh, who's this Republican? Steve Womack. This was in, in late June. This was just before we took off for the uh, 4th of July break. Uh, he bemoaned the House Republicans' apparent inability to bring a budget resolution to a vote on the chamber floor, given the internal differences in the Republican caucus in the House in this case. Uh, Womack, who's a member of the House Budget Committee, told The Washington Post, we just simply don't know how to govern. 
It's almost like we're serving in the minority right now. This is a Republican in Congress where they have a huge majority bemoaning the fact that, yes, they do not know how to govern. They may know how to run for elections, and uh, Democrats aren't very good at that. Um, but uh, Democrats are a lot better at governing, and Republicans apparently are just terrible at it, according to even Republicans. Uh, he said, Womack said that a budget, a budget resolution for 2018, quote, should have been put to bed a long time ago. According to the timetable laid out by the Congressional Budget Act, the House and the Senate are supposed to pass a budget resolution by April 15. By April 15? I don't have a uh, calendar in front of me, but I think they're not going to make that target. <laughs> Just guessing. Uh, so they don't know how to govern. And apparently they, they, they also, speaking of budgets, apparently they don't even know how to do simple math either. A new government analysis uh, released on Thursday of President Trump's budget plan says it won't even come close to balancing the federal uh, budget like the White House had promised that it would. The nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office report, according to AP, says that Trump's budget, if followed to the letter, would result in a $720 billion deficit at the end of 10 years instead of the small surplus that had been promised when the White House released this budget plan back in, uh, back in May, I think it was. The CBO said Trump's budget would reduce the deficit by a total of $3.3 trillion over 10 years. Okay, well, that's pretty good. $3.3 trillion uh, deficit reduction. But that's instead of the $5.6 trillion deficit cut that was promised by the White House. Well, that's only off by about 50%. Trump's May budget uh, submission proposed jarring politically unrealistic cuts to the social safety net for the poor. We've talked about that a lot on this show, uh, particularly when that budget proposal came out and a swath of other domestic programs. Uh, many of its recommendations were deemed dead on arrival and are being ignored entirely by Republicans controlling Congress. But the point here is, is that it was a completely either a completely dishonest budget in the first place or they don't know what the hell they're doing. We spoke with Seth Hanlon uh, back in May, who, who before two months ago, before the CBO numbers came out, he said exactly this, that they were essentially double dipping in their math. They were using uh, tax cuts to say one thing and then using it to pay for another here. Do we have a little bit for, of uh, that comment from Seth? Yes, this is Seth Hanlon from the Center for American Progress. Back in late May. So there's $5.5 trillion that's missing from the budget. They just pretend like this $5.5 trillion of tax cuts does not exist. And then at the same time, they say that the economy is going to grow by a full you know, percentage point every year. So the economy is going to grow at 3% instead of 2%. Okay. And so that brings in an additional $2 trillion mm -hmm. of revenue. Mm -hmm. So they include that extra $2 trillion of revenue in their budget, um, but at the same time not including the policy, that, in other words, the tax cuts, that supposedly producing that magic growth that results in the $2 trillion. So they're essentially saying that it's, it's revenue neutral. In other words, the tax cuts, uh -huh. the $5.5 trillion, 
pay for themselves, right? Right. Um, but then if it's revenue neutral, then it can't pay for anything else. I mean, so revenue neutral means it doesn't change the level of revenues. <laughs> I can only conclude that there was a deliberate decision simply to wave a wand and take the entire $5.5 trillion cost of the tax cuts out of the budget. So I, I don't know if you were able to follow that there or not. There was a lot of numbers there. Essentially, they're counting the same numbers twice in order to come up with their uh, promise of deficit reduction. And you can't do that uh, in reality, at least if you wish to be here with the rest of us in the land of reality. And the nonpartisan CBO this week has called them out on that after having gone through the budget and found out that, yes, in fact, that... trillion deficit cut is actually just $3.3 trillion. They were lying or doing bad math because they're incompetent. Take your pick. Once again, are they liars or incompetent or both? Hard to tell. But that's not the only place where Republicans are either incompetent or lying about their math by using the same numbers twice. Not just the White House. Apparently the Senate is doing it using the same numbers twice for the same thing within the same legislation. The new Senate Republican health care bill released on Thursday does exactly that, apparently. It counts the same pot of money multiple times within the same bill. Alice Olstein over at TPM, and, and she has been doing, and Tierney Sneed have been doing a great job staying on top of this uh, quickly moving uh, budget no, not budget, Healthcare disaster in the U.S. Senate over recent days. Um, she reports that GOP leaders unveiled the Senate, uh, the Senate's revised health care bill on Thursday. And the updated legislation now includes a version of a controversial amendment drafted by S- Senator Ted Cruz that would allow insurers to offer cheap, bare-bones plans They cover few health care services as long as at least one plan per state complies with the Obamacare essential health benefit regulations. You know, a real health care plan. So as long as there's one plan available to do that, you can skimp all you want. You can sell these cheap plans, these crap plans that when you get sick, you find out they actually don't cover you. Once it's too late to do anything about it, you can do that all you want as long as you keep one, um, you know, that that meets the Obamacare regulations. So to address concerns that uh, Cruz's amendment would lower prices for the young and the healthy, and that's what this is about, so they can say, look, we've lowered premiums. Um, Well, what happens when you lower the premiums for just the young and the healthy, that makes premiums skyrocket for the people who need a comprehensive, a real insurance plan or who have pre-existing conditions and so forth. So the Cruz Amendment purports to allocate billions of dollars in additional funding that states can use to assist those health insurance issuers in covering high-risk individuals, the people with pre-existing conditions, the elderly and so forth, to make up for the money that will be lost through these low-quality crap plans that could be bought by a bunch of young and healthy people. But Senator Susan Collins, Republican of Maine, told reporters on Thursday that there actually is no additional money to cover those costs. Instead, the amendment takes money already appropriated in the bill for other things and says it can be used for these payments to insurers under the Cruz Amendment. 
She says, quote, it seems to me you're using that money over and over again. It's supposed to re relieve the cost of high premiums. It's supposed to solve the problems with deductibles being unaffordable. It's supposed to be available for high risk or reinsurance pool. It's supposed to be available under the Cruise Amendment to help prevent a huge increase in rates for people with pre-existing conditions. It's supposed to do all of those things at once. Uh, Matthew Fiedler, a, uh, a fellow at Brookings, uh, Brookings Institute Center for Health Policy, confirmed that double dipping. He said the overall bill adds $70 billion to the stability fund, but the Cruise Amendment then redirects that same money to make payments to insurers designed to mitigate the problems that the Cruise Amendment would create itself in the Affordable Care Act <laughs> oh marketplace. <my> <laughs> The funding will, of course, he says, not be available to serve the stability funds other purposes if it's used for that other thing. Like, uh, you know, assisting people who will be booted off Medicaid due to the hundreds of billions of dollars of cuts in funding for the federal health care program in even the latest version of this Senate bill. So. Uh, Susan Collins appears to be a no on this. Rand Paul appears to be a no on this, uh, at least for now. That brings uh, that means uh, if one more Republican senator says no, then this thing will collapse as well. I still don't think it will collapse. I still think they will find ways to buy people off. But we will see. Um, but that's where we are. Uh, double dipping on the health care bill, double dipping on on the uh, the the budget, the president's budget, uh, lying about all of it, being incompetent about all of it. Uh, and we'll take a, a, a break. Speaking of incompetence, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with more incompetence, more breathtaking incompetence from this uh, from this administration uh, and fellow Republicans. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. All in all, it's just a metal brick in the wall. All in all, you're just a metal brick in Welcome the wall. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I had been uh, planning, well, I will uh, talk about this um, news on the so-called border wall, Donald Trump's border wall. Um, I'll get to that in a moment here, but I'm now I'm really worried, Desi Doyen. Why? Well, uh, all right. Well, so we had that lady at the top of the show, Ainsley Earhart. Or something like that. Saying, Russia, 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 why isn't the media reporting on their on, on Donald Trump's accomplishments? Well, 
uh, I go through this whole rant in the A block there, and then we get to the break, and you find something on Twitter <laughs> that sounds exactly what my rant sounded like over the past uh, A block there, but this one comes from Fox News. Now, it's Shep Smith, apparently, so, you know, he's like one of the uh, less insane people, but it's Shep Smith and Chris Wallace talking together about well let's just just go ahead and let's let's play this in full because it's kind of remarkable this is on fox news it's not just me saying this it's not just some you know crazy lefty this is coming from fox news we've been told a, a variety of stories uh we've gotten and who knows if we're if we've gotten to the end of the story we, we thought we I, got to the end of the I story now know the we emails haven't. i now know we, we haven't because there's news breaking at this moment chris okay fox news can now confirm new more Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, Paul Manafort, the lawyer from Russia, the interpreter, this new guy we found out about today, and a mystery person. John Roberts confirms there was an eighth person in that meeting. We don't know. There may have been more, but there was an eighth. Jared Kushner filled out his form, I think it's an F-86, saying who he'd met with and what he'd done. Very important stuff. You can go to prison for messing it up, you know, intentionally. He went back and added 100 names and places. None of these people made it. They, they, they're still not clean. We're still not clean on this, Chris. It's, if there's nothing there, and that's what they tell us, they tell us there's nothing to this and nothing came of it. There's a nothing burger. It wasn't even memorable. Didn't write it down. Didn't tell you about it because it wasn't anything. So I didn't even remember it with a Russian interpreter in the room at Trump Tower. If all of that, why all these lies? Why, why is it lie after lie after lie? If you clean, come on clean, you know? My grandmother used to say, when first we practice to, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. The deception, Chris, is, is mind-boggling. And there are still people who out there who believe we're making it up. And one day they're going to realize we're not and look around and go, where are we? And why are we getting told all these lies? <laughs> You know, I don't know what to say. I think that that uh, there's a lot of the, of truth to everything that you've said. <laughs> Oopsie. <laughs> wow. There you go. Uh, yeah, and that did sound, uh, it was a little scary. That really did sound a lot like my rant just minutes <laughs> ago. So I am quite troubled by that. But, hey, it's not just me. Apparently, it's uh, Fox News. And when you lost Fox News, now they haven't lost Fox News. They've lost maybe Shep Smith, maybe Chris Wallace. We'll see uh, what the rest of those clowns over there have to say. But anyway, just had to play that. All right, back to the... Back to these clowns over here in the White House uh, and in Congress. A House panel on Tuesday of this week unveiled legislation to begin building President Donald Trump's long-promised wall. Oh, goody! Along the U.S.-Mexico border. Mexico, as it turns out, will not be footing the bill. You'll be shocked to learn. The move by the House Appropriations Committee again puts the Trump administration and its allies on Capitol Hill on a collision course with Democrats, says AP. Uh, Democrats, of course, opposed the wall, and uh, they succeeded in blocking a request by Trump to deliver the money when passing an omnibus spending measure earlier this spring. Democrats objected to the funding, and significant opposition surfaced among Republicans as well in regard to this wall, many of whom have problems, many of the Republicans have problems with the wall. The administration and congressional Republicans took a, a pass on forcing the issue back in May, but they vowed to fight for that wall this summer and fall. 
During uh, the campaign, you'll recall Trump bragged that Mexico would pay for the wall, but he's never come up with any kind of actual plan to deliver on that boast, says AP. Instead, the $1.6 billion down payment for the wall will be added to the government's almost $20 trillion debt. Remember, These are Republicans who pretend to care about the debt, who pretend to care about government spending. They're now adding uh, another $1.6 billion to the debt that won't be paid for by Mexico or anyone else other than you, the taxpayer. At least if that House appropriations uh, legislation is adopted, the wall money is embedded in a $44 billion Homeland Security funding bill. That was released on Tuesday by the committee. A GOP leaders hope to pass the measure before adjourning for the August uh, recess, which has now been pushed back two weeks to deal with all of this madness somehow. Good luck to them. The fight over funding the wall is a major obstacle to funding government agency operations for the budget year beginning October 1, and some conservatives are threatening now to shut the government down. Oh, man. If that again? The, yep. If the wall is not included, if the $1.6 billion in additional government spending, which, remember, they hate, if they are not allowed to include that uh, additional government spending that they hate, they will shut down the government. Congressman Mo Brooks of Alabama raised that threat as part of his uh, GOP primary campaign against appointed Republican Senator Luther Strange in Alabama, threatening to filibuster any funding bill that fails to include money for the wall project. Oh, yes, please make Mo Brooks a senator. Trump himself had reacted to, uh, remember back in May, uh, when there was news reports that Democrats were elated that they had bested him by getting rid of that wall and that earlier catch-all spending bill. And Trump went to Twitter to complain about the, the Senate filibuster rules that required it, declaring, quote, our country needs a good shutdown in September to fix mess. So the president of the United States is calling for a government shutdown this September as well because things aren't chaotic and insane enough. So uh, so that'll fix this mess. Uh, shut it all down. In the meantime, today, uh, Trump continues to change his own position on the wall, now saying, well, you know, what? we don't really need a full wall. The one that W and Obama did, that was pretty good. <laughs> he, Surprise. Yes, he made a uh, <laughs> he had made this, of course, a, a pledge, according to the L.A. Times, um, you know, this this border wall with Mexico. But he significantly scaled back that pledge on Thursday. Quote, you don't need 2000 miles of wall because you got a lot of natural barriers, Trump said to reporters on Air Force One during that flight to Paris, which was supposed to be that off the record conversation that is now on record. He said, you got you have mountains, you have some rivers that are violent and vicious. (laughs) You have some areas that are so far away that you don't really have people crossing. So you don't need that. You'll need anywhere from 700 to 900 miles, he said. Now, about 600 miles of the southern border are already protected by walls and fences and other barriers. It was not clear, the uh, L.A. Times says from Trump's remarks, if the figure he was citing referred to new border protections or included those already in existence. But he appeared to be suggesting um, that fixing the current border fences would count against the total that he had in mind. Well, that's convenient. Yeah. 
Conservative groups, of course, uh, supported Trump's stance uh, on immigration during the campaign. They're expressing concern now that the president is changing course on the wall. Uh, the Center for Immigration Studies said it appears that things are being walked back on. Uh, the Federation for Im American Immigration Reform in Washington, uh, Ira Melman, said Trump's backsliding on the wall cast doubt on whether he will keep his other campaign promises on immigration. We are going to hold him accountable, Melman said. He needs to push Congress to do these things he was elected for. Now it's time he deliver. In particular, Melman's group wants uh, Trump to uh, to rescind the program known as DACA, the uh, the Dreamer Act, essentially, uh, which was created by Obama, shielding more than 750,000 people from deportation who were brought here to the U.S. as children illegally. Trump told reporters on his plane that he and not subordinate officials would make the decision about what to do with DACA. He says it's a decision that I make, and it's a decision that's very, very hard to make. I really understand the situation now. Oh, dear. Says Trump. Well, I guess that's what? a good thing. I say, oh, dear, but I guess it's a good thing if he finally understands something. <laughs> well, yes, now that he uh, bothered to learn about what he's been blustering about for so many years. Here's what he says, however. He says, what I'd like to do is a comprehensive immigration plan. But our country and political forces are not ready yet. <laughs> Comprehensive. Sound familiar? Yes, Comprehensive sure immigration reform, just like the bill that the Senate had passed years ago, and then it sat there languishing in the uh, in the U.S. House. And then because I think then John uh, Speaker John Boehner, remember, he oh, didn't yeah. have the courage to bring it up on the floor for a vote where it would have passed. That's what Donald Trump apparently wants to do now: comprehensive immigration reform. But uh, political forces are not ready yet. He's in charge of the political forces. He's in the White House. Trump's Homeland Security Secretary John Kelly had uh, suggested on Wednesday that Attorney General Jeff Sessions might make the final decision about the DACA program if it is challenged in court. But Trump appeared to suggest that he would do it. He would not delegate this decision to Sessions. It would be up to him. But back to the border wall. Trump also offered a very different description of the barrier that he has that he, than what he portrayed in campaign rallies, according to the Times. And uh, you remember in the campaign, he would sometimes talk about a wall that was 30 feet high. His new description closely resembles the border fencing built under Presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama. Oh, goodness. He said, you need transparency. You have to be able to see through it. He's just figuring this out. In other words, if you can't see through that wall, uh, so it could be a steel wall with openings, but you have to have openings because you have to see what's on the other side of the wall. Oh, God. You know, kind of like the steel fencing that we have in place already over 600 miles of our southern border. Uh, so, you know, the wall, well, you know, W and Obama's fence, that's pretty good. Immigration reform? Whoa, I like what Obama did. I mean, that's essentially what this guy is now saying. So, uh, you see, I'm adding to the uh, to the point that this is incompetency rather than lying well, on, on their behalf. Well, in this particular area, yeah, he's finally thinking these through, on finally learning area, stuff about it. On every area. I, when he says, I really understand this situation now, it reminds me of, 
you know, I thought he was going to say, oh, immigration. Who knew immigration was such a complex? <laughs> Trump's comments to the reporters on the plane, uh, uh, the Times notes were initially off record, which is standard practice during previous administrations uh, and the current one. But then he suddenly decided to put the conversation on record the next day. And White House uh, officials released a transcript on Thursday afternoon in which we learned that. Oh, my God, they are all uh, geniuses all. And what's remarkable here, one more story before we get to this break, sort of underscores. And I kind of wanted to play an earlier section of the, the brick in the wall where they talk about we don't need no education. Oh, yes. Because apparently Republicans don't need no education. Uh, a, a Pew poll released this week shows that Republicans' views of higher education institutions have taken a dramatic turn for the worst since 2015. Back in 2015, 54% of Republicans told Pew that they had a positive stance on colleges and universities. They were in favor of them, 54%. You'd think that would be higher, but no. It, but 54%, at least a majority of Republicans in 2015, thought colleges and universities were a good thing. Just 37% felt negatively towards colleges and universities. But today, their attitude has taken a complete U-turn. 58% of Republicans say that colleges and universities have a, quote, negative effect on the way things are going in the country. Only 36% maintained that they're good for the country. Colleges and universities, no good. Get rid of them. They don't help us at all. We don't want an educated populace. We don't need no education. Well, it makes sense. I mean, an educated populace tends to vote. And if you educate them, then they'll maybe vote in a way you don't want them to. 72% of Democrats and independents who lean Democrat have a positive attitude towards the institution. 72%, according to Pew. And that's uh, pretty much the same uh, stance they've had uh, going back uh, at least through 2015. So they're completely the same, Democrats and independents on this. But Republicans have completely reversed in just the past two years, just since September of 2015, which is remarkable. Uh, this uh, striking switch uh, among Republicans echoes a trend among conservatives of blasting PC culture, censorship of free speech on college campuses and uh, taking legislative action against it. That's where we are. We have uh, an incredibly dumb country and getting dumber. And uh, the Republicans are all in favor of making it dumber still, which makes sense because their policies are incredibly dumb. They don't make sense. They lie about them uh, or they just have no idea what they actually are. That's the mess we're in. We'll take a quick break and come back and uh, we'll, we'll beat up a little bit on Democrats, too. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. 
Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Don't talk about the weather. Shh. It's a military secret. Just keep your wits together. Shh. That's the safest way to keep it. These are critical times. Be careful of espionage. Yes, be careful. In such critical times, you've got to watch out for sabotage. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I, uh, I published a piece today at bradblog.com that I will uh, point you to from our legal analyst, Ernie Canning, in response to the um, to the lawsuit that uh, the election contest that has now been filed in Georgia's 6th District regarding the June 20th special U.S. House election, in which Republican Karen Handel was said to have defeated the Democrat John Ossoff on the state's 100% unverifiable Debold touchscreen systems that, despite Ossoff leading in all the pre-election polls, winning the uh, and winning the race, uh, but at least on the only verifiable ballots, the absentee paper mail ballots, he won those by two to one, two to one margin. But apparently, he lost, according to the touchscreens, which cannot be verified as having ever recorded anyone's vote accurately ever in any election, even one. Um, we spoke with uh, one of the plaintiffs in that challenge who is uh, trying to toss out the results of that race, Marilyn Marks. Uh, we spoke with her uh, last Monday. You can listen to that interview uh, at bradblog.com, and you should. Uh, and while you're there, you can read Ernie's piece, his full article there today. Um, I hope to have him on soon to talk about that piece, uh, but it, it sort of rounds up a lot of the reporting that uh, I've done on those specific voting systems, those specific Diebold touchscreen systems in Georgia over the past 15 years. Uh, and it's actually quite remarkable seeing all of it uh, pulled together like that and incredible that so few have paid attention to the dangers of these systems. Um, but anyway, that reporting included a lot of revelations from whistleblowers over that period that I've been reporting on all of that, all of which reminds me, as I said, you know, we've been beating up a lot today on on Trump and Republicans. So let's share the love uh, by reminding you of one of Barack Obama's worst transgressions in office, um, at least in my opinion, his war on whistleblowers, which Donald Trump seems quite eager to pick up and expand upon. The Committee to Protect Journalists, an independent nonprofit organization seeking to protect press freedoms across the globe, which are under fire across the globe and here in this country, really, like never before, at least in modern times, uh, they note that the Espionage Act of 1917 turns 100 years old this month, and it was rarely used um, until the Nixon era. But since the Nixon era, they note it's been misused to go after whistleblowers and the press instead of against, you know, espionage and sabotage and spies. 
the things you would think the espionage would be for. A century after its passage, uh, Committee to Protect Journalists warned uh, last week on the 100th anniversary of the law's signing, the Espionage Act's continued misuse could have a devastating impact on investigative journalism, whistleblowers, and freedom, particularly, they say, if Trump carries on Barack Obama's unprecedented use or misuses of the law, which prevents those charged under it, and this is why it's really a problem, prevents those charged under it, uh, not spies, uh, you know, in, in the recent cases, but these are whistleblowers trying to protect the U.S. Um, the law protects those charged under it from even arguing to a jury why they blew the whistle as they did. Committee to Protect Journalism uh, journalists put together this uh, this short piece. 100 years ago in 1917, as the United States was preparing to enter World War I, Woodrow Wilson signed a bill into law designed to punish interference in American foreign relations and military operations, including through espionage. A century later, the Espionage Act has been repurposed to go after government whistleblowers and anyone who leaks classified information to the press. And if the trend continues, misuse of the law could cripple investigative journalism. The Espionage Act was passed by Congress to stop espionage, and has been misinterpreted to catch reporters. In 1971, James Goodale was general counsel for the New York Times. That was the year that a military analyst named Daniel Ellsberg leaked the Pentagon Papers, a top-secret chronicle of America's involvement in Vietnam, to the Times. When the Times began printing those revelations, the Nixon administration sued to prevent their publication. Goodale defended the Times in the Pentagon Papers case. No one ever thought the Espionage Act could be used against the press until Nixon decided it could. It was a big surprise. And people had forgotten that it was plucked out of the air. The Supreme Court ultimately ruled in favor of the Times. Meanwhile, Ellsberg and his colleague Anthony Russo became the first people charged under the Espionage Act for leaking to the press. The case was dismissed in 1973, and the Espionage Act wasn't really used widely against leakers again until the presidency of Barack Obama. To the surprise of many people, supporters and opponents of Obama, he famously set a record in prosecuting leakers under the Espionage Act. Usually people say that prior to Obama there were three cases, and under Obama there were three times as many. Obama uh, is at fault for using the Espionage Act to get people leaked to the press, and my concern is since Obama's done it, as soon as Trump can find leakers, he's going to do it in great volumes. In June 2017, the Trump administration launched its first Espionage Act prosecution, Reality Winner, a former Air Force service member and NSA contractor, was arrested and accused of leaking classified information to journalists. If prosecutions under the Espionage Act continue to open up, it could create major problems for both reporters and whistleblowers. The courts have ruled that in recent years that there, there is not um, a public interest defense possible under the Espionage Act, so that you cannot say Yes, I deliberately leaked classified information, but the reason was that some grave wrongdoing was going on. 
Edward Snowden alluded to the Espionage Act's lack of a public interest whistleblower defense as a reason he hasn't returned to the United States for trial. When you say Thomas Drake, NSA employee, is being prosecuted under the Espionage Act, to the average person, that sounds like Thomas Drake was a spy. What Thomas Drake did, whether you, whether you approve of it or disapprove of it, was completely unlike that. He thought there was some terrible mismanagement and waste of money. He had used the internal channels to complain about this stuff, didn't think he was getting anywhere, and decided to use the sort of traditional hammer of the press. That is very, very different from what the Espionage Act was traditionally used for, meaning prosecuting somebody who's given information to a foreign power. Another troubling possibility would be if the government were to use the Espionage Act to directly target journalists themselves or the news outlets that publish leaked information. If the Espionage Act is used to prosecute publishers or websites or whatever, not only would be a chilling effect, it would be a deep freeze because publishers wouldn't want to publish any classified information or secret information because they knew they would be going to jail. The Espionage Act was not designed to get reporters. Reporters aren't committing espionage. Well, try, tell it to, try telling it to, uh, to Donald Trump, who has uh, announced recently they are hoping to go to war with journalists in response to uh, all of the reporting uh, over the past several months. That was a report from the Committee to Protect Journalists produced by Mustafa Hamid with reporters Alexandra Ellerbach and Natalie Southwick. My thanks to them. More on CPJ's important work at cpj.org. Okay, we got to get out here. Um, I think that's it. I think that ought to be enough. That ought to hold us for a while. <laughs> Incompetence or lying or both. Yeah, take your pick. All of the above. Desi Doyen, uh, that's our producer. Thank you very much. And my thanks to all of you for listening today, for uh, spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can, as ever, download it for free at bradblog.com or if you prefer your favorite uh, podcast site like iTunes. If you go to iTunes or anywhere else, please put in a good word for us. Good review makes it a little easier for everyone else to find us as well. You can uh, find us and follow us and share us worldwide as well on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. Or if you prefer, you can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And finally, my thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. That's it for now. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.